Okay, live in three, two, one. Beep. Today's episode of 990 Talk is brought to you, as always, by our favorite mortgage broker, Michael Knopf of Drake and Kramer. If you're buying a house, if you want to refinance, if you're looking for any sort of loan, an additional mortgage, home equity line, call Michael Knopf. He's your guy. He's helped me out multiple times. Give him a call, 847-239-7804. Hey. Hey, Mom, what's up? Really, what I really want to know is how supportive Malka is of this podcast venture. Believe it or not, you're going to be really excited about this. But uh, we are... Probably not, uh, if you and I are calling me about something. Okay. <laughs> well, that went well. <laughs> I think she hung up. <laughs> you guys are so bored, seriously. <laughs> are you going to listen to it? Well, I don't know. I, so I don't always listen to things that really relate to my life. <laughs> wow, that that hurts. Oh, that, that's that is great. right in the gut. <clears throat> I mean, you guys have nothing better to do with your time. I figured it's about time you do something. Now, you're obviously very bored because you have no idea if it was going to actually be happening. <laughs> We're calling it 990 Talk. A lot of people out there think that those who can't make profit work in nonprofit, and that may or may not be true. You know, we're just like two dudes in, in a world that most people are focused on chasing every dollar. We kind of just want to show people that there's a niche for guys like us. In the meantime, we're out to at least talk about what it means to work in nonprofit. You know, just like changing the world is more important. So. Do me and you can do you. But I'm going to do what I love. Do what I love. I'm going to do me and you can do Welcome back to 990 Talk, everyone. Ari and Strilly here. Ari seems to have calmed down from being very worked up last time about my opinion on mustaches. Okay. You just said that, and then you got me fired up again. Why? Dude, Michael Jordan's mustache, it was a non-entity. It wasn't a thing. And and I've gotten so many listeners to tell me that. I've also... They agreed with me. That if we're going to talk about mustaches over the course of history, Michael Jordan's is not on there. I wasn't saying that it's one of Stop the it. best just, mustaches. I was just saying that ugh. it was a fashionable thing in the 90s, which is someone who... He didn't have... It, it was barely... A, I don't think people ever... All right, we're moving on. Either way, look, we're, we're going to sell this once and for all with our Mount Trashmore of iconic mustaches, and we're going to settle it. That's it. Just to be clear, this is... I mean, as much as I am excited to talk about facial hair, you know, I got married with a beard... I like my beard. For anybody out there that wants to have a beard when you're married, that is the only way to do it, by the way, because I still suffer from the fact that I was clean-shaven at my wedding, and now my wife will never let me keep a beard. Yeah, so my wife does not know me without a beard. Listen, I just, all I'm saying is, okay, we had a lot of listeners that reached out and would like us to do a trash more on mustaches, and we have agreed, obviously, because we like to talk about it. But I, I think that it's not just about, like, Oh, who's got the best looking mustache? There's some really cool mustaches out there. We wanted to dig deep and talk about those that have shaped their facial hair, what they call the lip hairs, <laughs> above above the lip hairs, and it became it kind of took on a life of its own. I'll just say, you know, we've done a few man trash wars already. This was probably the hardest one because there are so many there are good so mustaches many. through history. You know. There are athletes, there are politicians, there are celebrities, there are historical figures. Tons of ways to go with this. 
Um, but I think that uh, we're up to the challenge. And uh, can I go first this time? I never gonna go first. Actually, I wanted you to go first. Although I am concerned that this trash more more than others will have a little bit of overlap. Uh, but I, you said that there's so many, and I, I would like to throw out a couple honorable mentions. Should we do that first or after? Let's do it after because maybe my an honorable an honorable mention of mine. Okay, is one of your picks. Okay, so you so, jump into it right now. Go one, two. Okay, so my first one. So I didn't want to focus too much on the on on on, on athletes. Um, there are some very good mustaches in the history of athletics and sports. Um, initially, my thought was to, again, I, I'm really this is basically an honorable mention here. I wanted to give Mike Ditka a spot on my Mount Trashmore. We live in Chicago. He's an icon. It was always a, a it was always a, a, accompanied with the cigar accessory, you know. Um, and the vest, but ultimately I had to go in a different direction, and my number one spot goes to Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh Fingers has probably the greatest mustache in the history of sports. It has like the swirl thing, whatever you call that. Yeah, I, I think they call it handlebars. No, handlebars goes down. No, uh, no, I, I don't think yes. so. All right, one second. Either this way, is, Ari's going to Google it. This is important it. stuff. I'll Google it, yeah. He's going to Google it. Everyone hold tight. But uh, Raleigh Fingers, one of the greatest relief pitchers in the history of baseball, and... Uh, Greatest mustache in the history of sports. Okay, cool. You want to jump to number two? We can still come back to this okay. handlebar question. My number two is um, I have to go with Ron Burgundy. I'm a San Diego kid. It's probably one of the most, uh, I guess, um, iconic movies of my childhood. It takes place in San Diego. Um, just a hilarious movie that we don't endorse. Ron Burgundy. And that's my number two. All right, well, I'm happy you did that. That was an honorable mention of mine, Ron Burgundy's. Oh, okay. Perfect example of somebody who who really, uh, that mustache definitely took on a life of its own. And it's definitely iconic. Uh, all right, it's not really clear here. I, there's a lot of different images and memes on the uh, on the internet about, I guess, handlebar mustaches have a lot of uh, different applications. But it sounds like it's any mustache that basically extends past the width of the of the mouth. Is considered to be a, a handlebar mustache, but I'm uh, I'm fine to be proven wrong here. So yeah, I think the curl ups on the corners is definitely within the category of uh, some people call it an imperial mustache, uh, but it's definitely within the category of of mustaches. My wife often will say, "I mustache you a question, but I will shave it for later." <laughs> you think it's funny? I don't it's kind of funny. funny. Okay, I don't think it's for funny. you. It's probably overkill. I, I maybe a shout out that. All right. Here we go. So uh, <clears throat> I will start off with my number one and two of Mount Trashmore mustaches here. Number one, and I, I associate in general mustaches, I oftentimes will associate with wisdom. There's a couple honor, honorable mentions there with the wisdom one. But number one mustache, I think, which definitely took on a life of its own so much so that when I Googled this, I didn't even know that he had shaved it off. And that is Alex Trebek. The Alex Trebek mustache for Jeopardy. He had it for like 30-something years. Obviously, he's an iconic figure. Mm -hmm. And Jeopardy is known to be, you know, amongst the intelligent. Uh, and he's just an intelligent guy, obviously. Or at least he plays one on TV. And I think the mustache is very much a part of that character. It just gives off that vibe of intelligence. Even though he doesn't know how to ask a question. Oh! Get it? I get it. <laughs> okay, Number I, two. I can accept that. Number two is going to be a, a huge mustache. And that goes to, I am I, I grew up a wrestling fan, so you can't talk about mustaches without talking about Hulk Hogan. 
Hulk Hogan's mustache was was a monster of a mustache, and I think it really guided a whole bunch of mustache people out there. I bet you that he's somewhere up in the walls of the American Mustache Institute is the Hulk Hogan mustache. That's maybe my he, number two. Maybe he's the founder. He might be. I mean, he definitely he, he didn't need any protecting, I'll tell you that much. Mm, that's true. Okay. Okay. Moving on. So here's where I crush you on this Mount Trashmore. Okay. My number three on the Mount Trashmore of iconic mustaches is the milk mustache. Whoa. Wait, what? Just the, mil- the, the concept. The milk a- mustache from the Got Milk campaigns. You're saying it's not a specific mustache. It's just the concept of people. Well, it was a marketing campaign, but it's iconic. The Got Milk, yeah, no, no, milk no, no, mustache not, I, I, it's, is, it's I, not, is iconic. It's not where my head went when we talked about this, but I, I would agree with that, obviously. I mean, again, it's a, it's like almost a communal mustache. It's like It's been featured in almost every house, every kid. You drink milk? Which I drink. Yeah. More. I wish right. I drink more milk. If I drink more milk, I'd probably be taller. I. Um. But I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I don't care to argue whether or not that belongs on the trash bin. I think that's a. I think that's absolutely a valid point, and that obviously shaped history. And my final iconic mustache. Do you know what the milk mustache like? What that was? Who funded the, those advertisements? Got milk. Yeah. I don't know. I think farmers did. Do you know that? That's genius. Yeah. Well, it was all about they wanted to up the consumption of milk in the world or the country. Who's your favorite milk mustache? Can I just can I ask you that? I haven't really thought about it because I haven't seen one of these ads in probably twenty years. I bet you, Mike. I bet you, Michael Jordan did a milk mustache, which, by the way, is proof that he didn't have a mustache. <laughs> just saying. You're saying you can't do a milk mustache if you have a mustache. No, I, I I don't know for sure offhand, but I would like to assume that there are people that have mustaches that were featured. Well, let's see about that. I don't know. I think that I think that probably the actual mustache community. I don't know if they appreciated the the got milk mustache. They might not have. They might not have. They may have felt like it was just a complete imposter situation. I don't know. And my fourth on the Mount Trashmore of iconic mustaches is the mustache that every 12 slash 13 year old has as they begin puberty. (laughs) The bar mitzvah stash. And it was really inspired by my father because if you uh, are a Jewish music junkie, so there is a CD from the 70s called Amude Sheish Boys Choir. And there's about 20 boys on the cover. And there is only one with a mustache, and it's my dad. And here's a picture, so you see. What? What is that? That's incredible. That's what that is. So uh, it no, will that's be a real mustache. Yes, it is. <laughs> what grade was he in? He must have been thirteen, so probably seventh or eighth. No, that's not like normal seventh eighth grade mustache. That's he had a legit mustache. We're going to put it on Instagram for all you to see. No and you can join the debate. That's awesome. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. That's incredible. That's from Google. All right, let's jump right back into, uh, I guess, my my set over here. So my number three mustache, uh, I don't know. You may have wished you thought of this one. Just saying. Shout out to Uncle Chuck. He inspired me for this one. And the number three goes to an incredible individual, a huge Jewish philanthropist, he supported several organizations and has a sweet, awesome business. Is it Big Cat? And he's met a lot of really cool people out there. And his name is Saul Werdiger. So I had Saul Werdiger. Oh, I had Saul Werdiger. You had. I didn't have it. I thought of it. Fi- let me finish. But I passed let it. Let me finish. Okay. Saul Werdiger is the man. Okay. He's sought after for a lot of guidance and advice. He's, he's obviously extremely influential in the broader Jewish community. 
And uh, I, I think that, listen, the mustache is really, really a part of a part of him. Do you think you got the mustache from Moshe Sher? I thought about that. Moshe Sher was going to be one of my honorable mentions. Also another big Jewish leader who with a mustache. But I think that, again, you know, his mustache, Moshe Sher's mustache is, is huge in the figurative sense, by the way. But I think it was in a time where it was like, okay, a lot of people had mustaches. Saul Werdiger is rocking the mustache today. Yep. Wherever he is right now, he is rocking a mustache. And I think that that's just, it's just incredible. Right. You could argue that the mustache is the look of Jewish advocacy. It might be. It's just, it, it, listen, to me, mustaches are just, it's like leadership. I don't know. Just, you're just, you're automatically just a trailblazer. My number four mustache is a, is a sports mustache. Um, you know, I think that being in Chicago and, and, and being a hockey fan, you know, appreciating what the Blackhawks have done in the last decade is obvious to anyone. I grew up a Blackhawks fan. It's for another time. My, uh, when I was in fourth grade and I watched Chris Chelios get his face split open on the ice. I've been a hockey Blackhawks fan ever since then. And I appreciate the talent that was on the bench during the Blackhawks dynasty. But I know, and everyone knows, that behind every good team is a great coach. And behind in, some of the greatest coaches... I think you mean in front of every coach. In front of every coach, just <laughs> above that upper lip, is probably, to me, you know, for sure in recent years, the most iconic cookie duster. And that would go to Joel Quenville, Coach Q, Q-Stash. Man, that thing was a just a beauty. Do you think that um, mustaches are synonymous with sports success? Because Phil Jackson, oh, okay. nine so NBA titles. Just, all right, so my sorry, num- nine, my, eleven, my eleven num- NBA titles. My number mustache. four. My number four is Coach Q. I think that's a huge one. All the Chicago fans out there are gonna love that. But once we're talking about honorable mentions, I cannot. We can't do a Mount Trashmore and not mention Mike Ditka's. That's, that, that, that could be, in fact, one of the most iconic. I just happen not to be a huge Bears fan. I'm a much bigger Blackhawks fan, so I went Q-Stash instead of Ditka. But those are two, I mean, huge mustaches, again, figuratively speaking. I think you would agree, though, that Mike Ditka is just a more iconic mustache. You just wanted to give the spot to Q just for the sentimental value of being a hockey fan. But you would yeah. agree that no, Mike Ditka, when you factor in the sweater, the cigars, the sunglasses, it's everything. and the stash, yeah. it's, a, it's, a real, it's a central Chicago figure. Well, listen... That was Mount Trashmore, everyone. No, no, wait. There's a we're couple. Not done? No, we're not done. Oh, Let's we're not go done. honorable mentions. Okay, here we go. Okay, Chuck Norris. So it's a beard, though. It's not. I know. It, it. I know. So for some reason, he's on the list. A lot of lists will include him. I think. I don't know. I mean, he definitely. I, I believe he had a mustache. It was more dominant mustache than it was beard. So maybe that's a questionable one. I saw some other good ones. Martin Luther King Jr. mustache. And then another one is for for music fans. Again, we don't obviously endorse movies out there, but if you are a uh, it could be this is very niche. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Spinal Tap, Derek Smalls has an amazing mustache that, you know. Whatever. Once we're going there, we'll just, I would also just throw we'll in just the. leave it at that. You uh, got to mention Ron Burgundy, so I get to mention I'm saying, but once Derek you're going there, Smalls. In the honorable mentions, I'll throw in uh, Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, that's a good one. Um, okay. I mean, his character was more than just the mustache. I know, but. Derek Smalls, just the mustache was, was a lot of what he was. Sam Elliott. For the Big Lebowski fans out there, can't mention Big Lebowski on the podcast, right? Um, I'm just going to move on. Yeah, let's just move on. Okay, well, that was great. Um, We're going to post our Mount Trashmores on Instagram, and you guys can vote and tell us who won. Who had the better? You can. Please vote. Yes, you should vote. Tell us who won, and that's that.
We have a great interview coming up today with someone by the name of Nikki Scott. Nikki Scott. Nikki Scott lived in Chicago for a while. She's originally from England. She now lives in England again. Does she have an accent? I hope so. Okay, because I'm just saying, like, maybe the content of the interview won't matter because if she has an accent, like, I think that's pretty cool. That's a safe bet. We should always get an international figure for the interviews in case they're not good, then at least they have the accent. Yeah, but I don't want to set the bar so high, so maybe she won't have an accent. Either way, she is one of the 17 international directors of Rotary Club International. We don't know anything about that. <laughs> this is hilarious, by the way. And uh, I, I, hopefully, I, we'll, hopefully we'll learn something. And so no, will you. I did a little bit of research. I'm still not really sure what the Rotary Club is. Um, and whatever. It, it, this is, this is going to be interesting. Can I ask her about the signs on the, side of the, on the side of the road? I think you have to. Okay. I mean, that, for me, that's probably the biggest question is what, what gives. What, what are those signs? Why, how? Can we get Camp Nagila Midwest signs on the side of roads? Like, what would you do? So let's see what happens. Okay. Okay, so we now welcome to the show, all the way from the United Kingdom, Nikki Scott. And uh, I know Ari uh, was very excited, so he has a question first, just to get started. We, we could talk a little bit about what Nikki does um, and her very cool story and a lot of her passions. Um, but I do want to just kick it off. You know, I know you're involved in, with the Rotary Club. And aside from the, the sign on the side of, of roads and streets, which may have nothing to do with it, I have no idea. Can you just tell me what in the world is the Rotary Club? <laughs> so Ari, that's a really good question. Yes, it's an, unfortunately a very well-kept secret. Um, first of all, it's Rotary International, um, not the Rotary Club, but everyone knows it as their local Rotary Club, which is why it's uh, referred to as that. And it does have something to do with the signs on the side of the road. So Rotary International is 1.2 million people worldwide. Um, it's the largest humanitarian organization in the world with the highest rated charity. Um, every single bit of money we raise um, goes out back into the world without any administrative costs whatsoever because we have such a large endowment. We pay all of the staff and all the administrative costs out of the interest. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful organization to be a part of. And uh, it manifests itself by way of local Rotary Clubs. And that's how people usually interface with it. So um, it's a real yin and yang of what people see locally um, as, as well as what we actually do in the world globally. And it, how, how far reaching around the world is it? I mean, it's like in every, every how many oh. countries? Oh, 200, 200 plus. I mean, it's literally wow. almost everywhere. We've even just got into China in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I just say that in that way, just because that was one of the last mainstays of the, of the ge geography of the globe that we had not uh, been a part of. So, yes, very, very global. We actually were integral in starting the United Nations. Um, and it's been around since 1905. And oh it, was born in, it was born in Chicago, actually. Where you guys are. Did you know that's really? Uh, I knew that when Nikki told me that um, we spoke <laughs> about a month ago or a couple wow. weeks ago. I right. did not know that. <laughs> Look at that. And Yeah, so it was started by a guy called Paul Harris. He was a bit of a renegade, um, um, a worldwide traveler, very interesting guy. He was in his 30s when he started it. And he just wanted to find a way to do business with people who had a similar values platform to him. So it was very built on a, a platform of ethics. And there's a, a four-way test, which we all share across the globe. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? 
Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? And so he started with a, a group in Chicago. Um, we had a classification system all the way back then, uh, which lasted for many generations actually, where you could only have one person from each um, vocation because the idea was is you would give them the business that you would be doing. So whether it's a veterinarian, a doctor, a banker, you know, your local dentist, plumber, <laughs> um, but obviously that's not how it works now. But they're called Rotary because they would rotate hosting the meetings in each other's businesses. So. And so if maybe let's just talk on more of a local level. So locally, what does what what do these clubs do? Do they convene? How frequently? What's like the stated purpose of each club? Yeah, so we have a, a global vision, um, but the clubs have some level of autonomy, no matter where they are in the world. And, um, you know, our global vision is together we see a world where people unite and take action to create lasting change across the globe, in our communities and in ourselves. So it's the motto of service above self. They exist to give service and it's all humanitarian causes. Um, and that's what they do. They get together, they have a fun time. Um, we've sort of morphed into having uh, great friendships, great fellowship, way too much emphasis on eating. <laughs> that's never a bad thing. I was gonna say, not a bad thing at all. Um, but so, you know, that's what the clubs like to do. And you literally make friends across the globe. But the, the overriding principle is to give service to others. And you, we, we have community service, we have international service. And we have vocational service. So you give of your talents to the benefit of others. And how is the Rotary International Club situation so cool that they get so many street signs? <laughs> yeah, like what's, well, the, what's the point? What's the, what's the, is it like, it's, I assume it's not like a marketing. Uh, Although it's a fantastic marketing. Well, it's, the point is that we didn't do a good job for years of telling anyone what we did. So there's this whole sort of mystique about it. Like there's sort of weird things we do for you to have to get into the club. And no, it's not, it's not a cult. It's just people who really want to give back to community. And that's the way they would let people know they existed is they'd put a little sign as you enter, enter the town to say, here we are, we're here somewhere. You just have to work hard to come and find us. <laughs> Well, we finally found somebody who's involved in the Rotary Club and can, and can answer these questions for us. So we're happy about that. Um, once we have you here, so um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the Rotary Club and, and your background? And also, before you answer, I know you're a mother of two and you're taking the time today. So we want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. And uh, Thank you both. That's very lovely. Yes, my children are both still in the United States. Um, currently, I'm calling you from a tiny little cottage built in 1680. 1668 in England. Um, but yes, my children are still there. I, I was born and raised about 10 minutes down the road from here and uh, um, was always interested in travel. I don't know why, I just felt, felt that pull to go and be a global citizen somewhere. So um, I happened to marry a man who was born and raised in Zambia in Africa. And we decided when he was gonna do an MBA to come to the States. And he did his MBA in Los Angeles. And that's, uh, I actually left the States six months pregnant, Seth left the UK to come to the States six months pregnant. So we started a family straight away. And it was a real tough time, quite frankly, because I'd come out of KPMG and corporate finance. Um, I know truly we had a little conversation about how I was raised by a very ambitious corporate father 
um, lovely, lovely man, but sort of raised me to believe that all of my success was pinned on my career, really, and how much I got paid, and that was the measurement of success. So uh, I, I entered into KPMG, became a chartered accountant, and then went into corporate finance, which was pretty high pressure. And I thought when we moved that I might go back into that, but it doesn't go very down very well with raising children. So for a long time, when I first hit the States, I was really going through an identity crisis. It was so shocking to me how much of my identity was tied up in what I did instead of who I was. Um, anyway, I was very fortunate, uh, long story long, to meet this incredible woman because um, I jumped in of course, as I always do, to an organization called Female, formerly employed mothers at loose ends. It wasn't feminist at all. It was just working women trying to keep their heads together, raising children, and um, met her. And she offered me a job in change management consulting. And I said, well, I don't know change management consulting. And she said, well, I know lots of people who have the degree in organizational development, but they don't have business acumen. And so that was our trade-off. She hired me. I was very lucky. Got back into the workplace. And in Naperville, this was, and I got very involved with the local community of business people there. And they're the ones who invited me to Rotary. And I never looked back after that. It was an immediate sense of community, people with similar values, and all with that same passion of making a difference in the world. So I felt immediately at home. So you mentioned uh, in your describing, you know, how you got to this point, you, you spoke about, you know, redefine how your, how your father perceived success and how we want to redefine it. So I really think that's what we should talk about today, redefining success, um, especially for young people that are in such a situation. Listen, I think it's something that relates, you know, a lot of people in the non-for-profit space can relate to that. You know, how even if it's not relatives, it's friends, we sort of live in this world that is definitely pushing us into, you know, the drive for the dollar. Um, yeah. And our tagline here on the podcast is really 990 talk. There's more to life than profit. And that's really kind of what we're trying to do is create this venue to encourage and support those in non for profit that they're not alone and that we wake up with, with what we believe is, is sometimes a different, you know, a different purpose, a different mission. It's not to say that people in for profit work also don't have altruistic values and drives. It just it tends to be that there are many people in the non-for-profit space that have sort of traded in, you know, what could have been a more lucrative career for something that they are very passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, there's nothing per se wrong. I don't everyone has the right to make their own choices. But um you know, I, I love the work I did in change management and then there was 9-11 and that became a very tough world. So I ended up sort of spinning off, especially when my husband was also trying to launch a non-prof, I mean, a business in the United States. It was very stressful, both of us raising children. And it's like we were so busy living to work, we were forgetting to work to live. And um, so I we had a little bit of a a moment and sat down and said, right, well, something's got to give and our children were quite young. So I bought a promotional products business. And if you told me I'd be selling t-shirts and baseball caps when I was back in corporate finance, I would never have believed you. But it, it gave me the chance to balance raising a family. Um, the only trouble with that business is it, it was extremely lucrative. <laughs> so it made us quite a bit of money and we got into the habit of spending it. And uh, such is the, the lifestyle in America that it's encourages to over leverage yourself and to keep wanting more and you know my husband was very ambitious and living uh, in a very ambitious world 
So we found ourselves just sort of caught up in that building an empire. And it's like, well, wait, this is way more than we need. We had seven mortgages at one point. I mean, who needs more than one mortgage? Nobody. Is that, a, is that, is that an exaggeration? No. Wow. No. Wow. No. So, yeah. So, um, you know, we just, we just got to the point, uh, sadly, because we'd had a great marriage, but we just got to the point where I said, well, hang on a minute. We obviously want different things. So we decided to part ways. And I, I just chose a much more simple life debt-free and found that the nonprofit world was really where I felt most fulfilled. I didn't feel like I needed to um, prove anything to myself anymore. I was fortunate, I suppose, to have a bit of a reserve to enable me to do that. But um, I think at the end of the day, success is about actualization. If you, if you do everything you can to, to use as many of the skills you're gifted with in this life and that's where true success comes from for me. It's not about how much money I make anymore. How long have you been involved in Rotary and what is your, your role there? So um, I got involved in Rotary when I was um, just 34 years old. Uh, children were young. That was back in 2000. So I've been involved for a long time now. <laughs> Do the math. Um, my kids are 28 and, um, well, no, 26 and 24 and uh, Rotary, once you want to get involved, it's just a path to incredible leadership development. And so that's what I mean about actualization. As long as you're stretching yourself and you're growing and you're learning more. And the thing about Rotary is it's, it's community leaders. And so in a single club, you know, you've got a lot of people there who are leaders in their own right. And leading leaders takes a little bit more leadership muscle than leading followers. So it really helps build your leadership skills. And... I've always felt stretched. Um, I became a club president in Naperville in 2009-10. Um, then you have an opportunity within the structure we have to be a district level. District is about 63 clubs, and uh, I became a district governor. District governor is a very sought-after <laughs> position, but, you know, um, 14, 15. And, uh, and then there's always something else. If you show willing, there's always something else, unless you say no. So I took a couple of leadership roles on. Um, I became a member of the Strategic Planning Committee worldwide. And that was fantastic. There was about eight of us from all over the world, someone from Indonesia, someone from Uganda, someone from Korea, Australia. I mean, they, I would pinch myself to think I was in the same room with these people, learning from them, and all in the, all in the name of giving back and growing this fantastic organization. So. Ultimately, um, I had to move back to England because my dad um, wasn't very well. He, he got cancer and I'd lost my mum to cancer when I was 20. So I thought, right, I'm not going to make that mistake and miss, miss the only parent I have left. So my children had flown the nest. I decided to move back here. And it could have been a very, very lonely time because obviously I'd just gone to, through a divorce. I, my children had gone. Um, I did, had to interrupt my career. Um, I had a really wonderful career at the time. I decided to leave with Vistage, which is how I met a friend of yours, actually, which was fantastic. And um, I just thought, no, none, none, none of that's worth it. So I moved back, but I moved back to an immediate sense of community because that's what Rotary is. I just got invested again in Rotary. One of the things about Rotary is wherever you travel in the world, you're immediately invited to join other Rotarians and be a part of, of their community. So 
I was embraced and I threw my hat in the ring and I'm now an incoming Rotary International Director. So 17 of us in the world and I'll be leader of Rotary in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales as of July 21 for two years. That's absolutely- And it's still making me grow all the time, every day. <laughs> so if I could ask you, I know you mentioned the members, are they called Rotarians? Is that the word? Yes. Okay, cool. So in, in, in short, what would you say is like the biggest benefit to the Rotarians uh, that are part of these clubs? Hmm, that is so, such a good question. I think it's so funny because our motto is service above self, which makes out that we're some sort of, you know, really wonderful, gallant people who are always about someone else. But the truth is there's so much in it for us. It's been a, a gift that keeps giving in my life. Raising my children in Rotary has really shaped their careers, their future. My daughter is in nonprofit leadership and sustainability, and uh, she works in a role um, helping support the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals now. Um, it's just been fantastic. All of us went out to Zambia um, working with 34 villages in a community to build wells and a sustainable way of life over an eight-year period. Uh, it's just, you know, you get so much out of it and um, certainly leadership development for me, but it, uh, the, probably the biggest common factor is if, if you're somebody who wants to make a difference in the world, you, you do so much more by working through others and with others than you could ever achieve on your own. So it's a real sense of purpose and um, given me an incredible sense of inner peace to be a part of this organization. I always say to people when uh, I talk to other people in nonprofit development and raising money and they're always like so worried about asking people for money because they feel like they're taking. But I think that, the, you know, to your point, the mindset is when you give someone else the opportunity to be part of something greater, you're really offering them more than they could ever give you. So I really think that's our goal um, in, in, this, in this type of work is just to, re to realize that ultimately it's as much as it is about other people it's really about it's really about us so yeah and i think another thing that's i'm very proud of about rotary and being a rotarian is because we're almost in every country um we work with other rotarians to get things done so we don't project onto those people we actually work with people who know what's needed we ask them what they need and um I think it's really hard in, in the nonprofit sector that so many people want to do good, but they actually don't stop and ask what's needed. They sort of come up with what feels good to them. So I think getting to the roots of, of any community, understanding that community, their needs, their culture, what's culture sensitivities to them. And, and like you say, Struli, at the end of the day, it's an opportunity to serve if you, if you go about it the right way. It's a wonderful thing to give people that opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your daughter's doing? Maybe we have to have her on the show also one day. <laughs> well, actually, I wish I knew a little bit more about what she's doing. Um, I'm hoping to speak to her in a couple of hours today on Mother's Day. Um, she just got this job. And uh, so she graduated from Arizona State University in nonprofit leadership and sustainability. And she's just, uh, Arizona State's an incredibly well-known research university. And they have a global um, lab now for furthering the sustainable developments of the United Nations. 
So she just became the PA to the lady who's leading that, leading that new uh, department. And every day I'm just beginning to learn a little bit more, but it's, it's amazing to me, you know, you stop and think about motherhood and how you raise these two incredibly different individuals and, you know, they're different to you, they're different to your partner and how they find their own way. But at the end of the day, you know, to stop and reflect how some of your values sort of build a platform for your own children's values, that's, there's nothing more rewarding for that than that, I don't think. I, I definitely think she'd be worth talking to once she's got her feet under her. Yeah. I was going to say, so I, I think you definitely then, uh, I think that's, that's the name of the game. It sounds like you won the game. <laughs> well, you're never finished. I don't think life is a place where you ever finish. To me, it's always about what's next, what stretches you further. Um, and, you know, there's always something to learn. I, I, was, I was reflecting, actually, thinking about today's call. I was very driven um, as a 20-something or even younger. I've always been quite competitive, always seeking my father's approval, I guess, too. So pushed myself hard at school, at university, and one of the books I read um, in my early 20s was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And they're great principles to live by. I, I do highly believe in those. But it's like if you're constantly chasing chasing that, you know, you sort of, you never quite, you never quite take stock and think, well, hang on a minute, what, what really matters? Um, so he's written a book called The Eighth Habit now. And the eighth habit is finding your voice. And, and really, you have to get to the point where you're giving back. I think, you know, if you're not giving back in some way, um, then, then what is it all for? You know, I think just finding a way to step back and, and get to that point is, is a wonderful thing. Do you think understanding the need to give back is something that, that can be taught? Or do you think it's like something that you're just born with? Hmm. I think it's a values-based system and it depends what your influ influences your values, I guess. I, I think it's an innate sense for some people. Um, you know, every religion has different beliefs and, you know, I know there are some religions out there that talk about a constant evolution of the soul. And if we don't learn the lesson this lifetime, we come back for another lifetime. And that's not true for every religion. But I think in concept, if we just live that pattern in this one life, what am I not learning yet? Um, so going back to Stephen Covey, he, one of his principles was uh, the ever-increasing circles of influence and how the more people you know, the more pe people you work through, the, you know, the more impact you'll have. Well, I think I've turned that around in my life to being this ever-increasing circles of ignorance because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So it's never a case of getting there, just a case of really getting aligned to what is a sense of purpose in your life. And once you know what that purpose is, it's amazing how the universe works with you to put people in your path, um, in my mind, to help you further that purpose. It's, it's, there's some mystique out there that I don't think any of us are supposed to understand. <laughs> okay, Nikki, as we finish up over here, just a quick question, if you could, is there like one sort of tidbit lesson or you know, suggestion you would make to, you know, to some of our listeners you know, as far as any sort of growth in entrepreneurship or non-for-profit work? Hmm. 
I what's coming up for me is you asked that question without having had any you know pre preconceived idea you'd ask that what's coming up for me is be yourself you know just be authentic know what's right for you know what drives you know what's your soul food what feeds your soul because at the end of the day you know you need to be yourself everyone else is taken and uh, I think believe in yourself have that faith and have that um, if you have a real sense of purpose I truly do believe that that you can get there even if you fall over several times falling over and having some tough lessons is just a, another lesson to learn you know it's I forget the phrase about who was the guy that created electricity and how many times he failed to find out that the one thing didn't work, you know? So you have to just see life as a series of opportunities and yeah, it's hard at times. So it's nothing's rose. I'm not being rose colored glasses here, but especially for entrepreneurs, I just say never keep up, keep tenacious, believe in yourself and keep, keep sight of, of the greater good. And, and as providing you exist in life, for the benefit of others as well as yourself, um, then I don't think you can go far wrong. And I think that's what the world of nonprofit offers. Okay, well, I, I have to tell you, this has been incredibly enlightening and truly and in, also inspiring. Inspiring, yeah. And uh, we really, really, really thank you for your time. Well, I'm thrilled that you two are giving me the opportunity to do this. And, and I celebrate the fact that you're on this path um, at an early stage in life. I mean, I, I think, you know, the doors are open to anyone to to make this leap. And there's this real misguided belief that just because you believe in the nonprofit world means you have to live on sort of bread and soup. That's just not the case. Every, every nonprofit should be run in a very responsible way. Um, and, you know, stewardship is with for profit, if you like, but the profit is invested then in purpose versus pockets. That's the only difference. So we also may need you to make an introduction to our local Rotary Club, because uh, after this interview, I may be interested in becoming a Rotarian. I think you only want to be. I think you just like the title Rotarian. That would be a dream come true for me. If that's the case, <laughs> if I could have your, set your, set your uh, intrigue. Yes, there's a, a series of together talks we're doing now in this virtual world to introduce thought leaders to non-Rotarians to try and redefine this perception that we're a bunch of old people meeting behind closed doors in, in privileged communities. So that's not who we are. We're there to make a difference and we'd welcome anybody of any age to join us. All right, well, Nikki, thank you so much again. It was a pleasure. Thank Take you care. so much. Take care. Bye. Wow. Wow. That was pretty, it was pretty incredible if I say so myself. I don't think she'd do that. The last thing that she was saying about, um, you know, I, you know, how, how, Nonprofits, like, really, it's just they're they're really just like a business, just with a different you know end game slash focus. Um, I think that's a very important thing that uh, people need to realize, because the best nonprofits really are the ones that function like a business and don't make decisions stupidly, if you will. As many of the non for profit consultants that we've worked with have said. 501c3 is just a tax status, and that's how businesses should be run. 501c3s should be run like businesses, and all the stat, you know, all that means is that you have a different tax status. But I like I I think she she spoke to. I mean, there were a couple of things that she said that were you know definitely inspiring in particular, but just her belief 
that find what it is that you like to do that there's a need for and it kind of will all you know hopefully fall into place doesn't mean it will be easy but that you'll find a way to kind of get it done i think is a very cool idea i also think that she mentioned that one of the good things or special things about rotary international is that they listen to their constituents about what they need and then try to accomplish that instead of just deciding what they want to do. And I think that's actually a problem that a lot of nonprofits struggle with. They're always looking for the next thing, just to like do something. And that's not necessarily the right thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I know a lot more about the Rotary International Club and did, Rotarians. Is that because you did research? No, because of this conversation. But there is still a little bit of unknown there. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I think I'm I, I'm now even more intrigued to find out more. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to find it. Like you said, that's like part of the mystique. Like I know. We, we, I don't, wanna, we don't know. I know. It's we don't pretty know. cool. And this, I, I still don't get why the signs are there. Do you think it's a good marketing ploy? I think it is. It's a, it's genius. Well, I mean, she says they're having issues kind of messaging. Well, if, if you can come up right now with a great marketing ploy for us, what should we do? No, listen. Hold, oh, for us, I the, the, that idea of throwing out a name without much of a context and like, you know, like a, a, a line, a word or something that's been used many times. Apparently now we know they're the king of that. I mean, their signs are everywhere. Everyone's heard of it and no one knows what it they're, is. They're dominating the, the, the game of global mystique. Correct. So I don't know. It's pretty cool. But now that I know that like the barrier for entry is not crazy, I think I'm going to try to get in. We could do like a whole thing. I'm like going into a rotary immediately. It sounds like to me. It's just, it's a network of people. It is exactly what, you know, it's a club, not a cult, a club. And they sound like they just support support each other. And it's just a network. It's like one massive network of fraternities. You're saying it's it's cheaper to get into that than a country club? Oh, are there membership fees? I'm sure there's membership fees. You think so? I feel like they're not. Road- they probably just vet you. Well, I'm telling you, we should find out. We'll look into it and we'll let the listeners know. We'll get, back. We'll by get, the way, we'll get back to you guys. She's super humble. I mean, it sounds like she has a massively important role. I know, 17 international directors in the whole world? No, I know. It was more than that. Also, she's like, and then I became a district governor. Now I'm like, okay, I'm done with the accent. I'm sorry. That's not nice. And then I became a district governor, and I oversaw, would she say 63 different clubs? That's huge. It's yeah. cr- I mean, it's she's big stuff. Special thanks to uh, Jay Cunet for introducing me to her. Yeah, um, absolutely. It really, uh, spot on, Jake. Really appreciate it. There's a, there's a general rule in fundraising um, that if you ever ask somebody for money and they say no, no does not necessarily mean no forever. No means no for right now. What do you mean not necessarily? It, no means no right now. Right. So we have a donor who we are very close with, and every time we have the opportunity, we ask him for a – he's a man of means, obviously. We ask him for a very significant amount of money to support our organization, and uh, we haven't done it in a while. So I think today's a good chance to uh, try our luck. So today's – uh, the debut of a new segment called Ask Elon for a Million. Ask Elon for a Million. And I got to tell you something. I really, every time we do this, I just, I feel like it might stick. You know, one of these times, I think he might say yes. He might cave. I think, listen, he might. It's, anything's possible. Let's give it a whirl. Here we go. You think he listens to the podcast? I don't think so. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Bogopolsky. Ah, Happy Mr. Day to you. Mi- what does that mean? Is that like is that like a, like some sort of like diss? As if like it's Mother's Day, surely. I know it's Mother's Day, Elon. Happy Mother's Day to you, Elon. Oh, hello, Ari. Um, so Happy Mother's Day, Elon. We are we're we're recording the podcast now, and uh, you're a very sought after guest, and we we're introducing a new segment right now. 
And this segment is called Ask Elon for a Million Dollars. So we know that you're a big supporter of Camden Gilman West, and we were really hoping that today would be the day that you would finally oblige to give us a million dollars. Elon, please give us a million dollars. Is this, I have a question, is this uh, Purim where you guys are going to come to my door dressed in some Molson Ice costumes uh, and truly doesn't even know where he is and ends up on Lund for... Uh, about 48 hours. I mean, if the answer to that is yes, and then therefore you'd give us a million dollars. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, why yeah, not? Sure. What, what kind of costume know. do you need? What, what, what do you need us to do? You want Molson Ice? We'll do it. Should I dress up like Smokey the Bear? What, is that what you want? Smokey, that's interesting. No. Say, no, no forest fires. Say no forest fires. Only you, only you could, only you could. Only you could say it. There you go. Okay, so Elon, so we asked you for a million dollars, and you have yet to say no. So should we take that as a yes? You know who would give you a million dollars? Uh-oh, here we go. Yeah, 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 listening. Oh, this is going to be recorded if someone's going to listen to this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just won't say his name then. All right, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. We're, we, we didn't ask him. We're asking you. Well, you know, Emeritus Sham, one day I can afford to give Akilah Midwest Millions of dollars. Oh, oh man. Is that is that a pledge? That's, just, is that a pledge? That is far from a pledge, gentlemen. That is far from a pledge. <sighs> I would still need to win uh, a lottery, and I would still need to do a lot of business, plus win the lottery, a big lottery, not like the you know little lotto. Like mega millions, you're saying? I'm saying mega millions, like when it's like close to a billion dollars. Okay. Right. I, okay. I, okay. Okay. We can accept that, but okay. the point is that the door is you have not closed the door on us. It's still open. I have never closed the door on you. Beautiful. I always open the door for you guys. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Continue doing the good work that you do. All right. Thanks, Elon. We appreciate it. And we're going to... Anything for you guys. We're going to start buying you lottery tickets. That's right. <laughs> How's everything going with your podcast, boys? It's good. We have over 1,000 listeners. Um, listen, listens, listens. No, I said listeners. Okay. And... Uh, well, guys, just yeah. because you listen to it 600 times each... Doesn't uh, well that would add up more than a thousand, but uh, well you have one point two, so you're spot on. All right. The question is how many it's, times have you listened to it's, it? It's it's just like like I had a uh, LinkedIn post that I got fifty thousand views on, um, and I but I kept looking at it just to see how many views I had. So I think every time I looked at it, it gave it another view. So I think of the fifty thousand views I probably had about seven thousand of them. Yeah, I don't think it works yeah, like that. I'm, I'm sure the algorithms account for you looking at your same post a thousand times, <laughs> unless unless you went on like on you went on like incognito on your computer. No, no, no. it was always on my phone. It's always on my phone. Okay, well, Elon, uh, have a happy Mother's Day. Make sure you, you call your mother. Boys. Make sure you call Cheryl. We we already did, but yes, absolutely, absolutely. And my my son got his Gamaro this morning from Ari Crown Hebrew Day School. Mazel tov. On a Zoom, on a Zoom, Huskal's Gamaro was beautiful. Okay. I'll plug in there for Ari Crown. Okay. All right, we'll keep that in there. We'll just we'll we'll build them for the ad read later. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys. Elon, have a great day, bud. Till next time. Thank day. you. All the best. Be well, guys. I just want to say oh. we're really like there's progress here. That was probably the most the closest we've gotten to him saying yes. So, I mean, he basically said yes. He just said there's a couple things that need to happen first. Right, and we definitely can try our best to make those things happen. Of course, I I, I definitely think we revisit it in a few weeks. I mean, any I, th I think we give him a few months. Oh, let's see. Let's just see how. Let's see what happens. You know, we hear of a couple of big deals he lands, and then I think we're right back at it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
That's a great, yeah, that was, that was, that was, a, that was a great phone call. That worked out well. Yeah. Our next segment, he mentioned LinkedIn. So a uh, very popular uh, segment on this podcast is called Link Swipe. Uh, just a quick PSA to all of you Camden Gilman West staff members out there. I love you guys dearly, but I also know you. So if you send me a LinkedIn request hoping that I'm going to read it on the podcast, I'm not going to do it because I know you and it just does not make, uh, it does not make good content. Okay? So... I've gotten, I just had to, I really don't, I'm not a big LinkedIn guy, even though I know we're, we're talking about getting a couple LinkedIn consultants onto the show. Um, I'm not a big LinkedIn guy. I'm, I'm trying very hard. I, I could probably use some, some help. I just, I've gotten so many <laughs> requests, I guess, because of this whole thing. So um, I've got a couple. You can, you can. Uh, Wait, so you also want to go? I, I, I'm, you, you start, I'll, I'll pick one of these to one of these. It's just a lot of invitations here for some reason. Okay. So the first one I got is from, is a very bizarre, uh, request. It says N95 respirator, KN95 mask manufactured by FDA. I'm not even sure if this is a person or just a mask. I mean, there's a person's name, but I think they're really trying to sell PPEs. Um, their location is. Shenzhen, China. A little bit nervous about this one. You can't like contract the virus through your LinkedIn. I know, request. but I I feel like I think you're 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 bordering on dare I say racist. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, I, and I'm saying you're bordering on racist. I'm not gonna have you bully me into accepting it. You're, I yeah yeah <laughs> okay. And uh, I uh, I don't see any use for this in the future. What do you mean? You may need a mask. I can buy masks on Amazon. Do you have a lot of mutual connections with that guy? It's a woman and I have 500. No, sorry. No, I only have five mutual con- connections. Do you, is there, listen, I, I really think this is important. A lot of people are asking the, this. The, the problem is this profile is everywhere. I'm oh. not sure if, it, I'm not, I. I <sighs> okay, can we, can we, can we, I want to, I want to make, a lot of people have asked me about the link swipe segment for some reason people really like this one okay i think that what they want to hear from us a few people have asked me this like when we're doing link swipe can we share advice because everyone's out there trying to get more connections on linkedin and here we are we're like tough critics so maybe we could like explain a bit more about like why we reject or approve someone and then they can learn from that so let's just be clear what is it is it because they're from china no, I just don't like anyone from another country trying to sell me okay. PPEs without information. So I'm ignoring. What information are, are, is There's missing? The, you have to read the profile. There's nothing right, here. Fine. Okay. Um, okay. Moving on. What else you got there? Okay. I have uh, executive recruiter at Hudson View Network. We specialize in getting high performers for skilled nursing facilities. Um, always a lot of healthcare here. Um, I do not see myself going into the healthcare field, God willing. Um, hopefully I'll be in this career for a long time, uh, trying to help out the Jewish people on a, on a, on a, on a large platform. Um, don't see any reason for you to accept this, uh, this request. What are your thoughts about that? Again, I, I, it's all for you. It's all about the benefit. So I can't argue with that. Well, it's really twofold. It's the benefit and like I just don't need random clutter in my feed. So if the more people that I accept that I don't really care to hear from, then the more I'll have that. So I have to just keep it clean and I have to just say ignore. Sorry. We're over 2 today. Let's see if we can uh maybe uh maybe pull up a winner. Hmm. 
It's not looking good. I'm reading through my my requests here. Everyone's out of state. I I need I need local requests. Okay, well, I have a Chicago one right here. Let's so, here. Let's go for it. Um, do we say the business name on here? I, I yes, we do. I mean, I give as much information except for the name. All right, CEO of Sparker Marketing. Okay, healthcare and business. Um, and it sounds like she uh, does like content writing, copywriting, whatever they call that, digital marketing stuff. I like the about's a little bit a tad long, but it's got some cool emojis in it, so it keeps me reading it, and a bunch of hashtags at the end. I believe that emojis are a red flag. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you are a copywriter, just write words. You should be able to engage no, me with words. Ridiculous. I mean, I, okay, like should I build, spark, blaze, and each one of those has like that fire thing before that. I like that. That gets me fired up. Brings 20 years of content writing to your business so that your healthcare and business clients will know, like, and trust you. I mean, this is real stuff. Businesses need this. I don't. I don't need this, but businesses do need this. A lot of recommendations on here. Some publications. I mean, there's some real accomplishment. Looks like she attended IU, Indiana University in Bloomington. What's up, Indiana? Um, what do you say? What should I do here? Hmm. I feel like it's a if we're dealing with an IU graduate, it's probably not the typical uh, copywriters that would come across my LinkedIn feed. So there's a good, yeah, a benefit there for sure. So even though I am a little bit off put by the heavy emoji use, I'm willing to give it a roll. Give it a, give it a whirl. Give it a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. She's worked a lot with some nonprofits I see here. Uh, it's just, it's marketing stuff. It's pretty cool. Take it. Yeah. Let's Cong run with it. I like it. Congrats. You're our first uh, link swipe. Is that uh, our first acceptance? No, but it's the first one of the day. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, You got another one you want to read or? No, I'm, I'm, I don't have that many. What about you? I still got a bunch more. Okay, let's give me a good one. All right, let's see what I got here. Um, All mine are like healthcare people from New York. I need some more diversity here. So this one's not from New York. I'm curious. I, I happen to like this uh, request a lot. There's a lot of activity on, on this guy's thing. A phenomenal. Um, can we take a pause? Look at this profile picture. Oh, he looks like a boss. Yeah. That's a handsome dude right there. I'm willing there. to take it just for the picture. Unless I know. it's not him. Unless it's a fake. Like a no, photo. it's him. I, I know him. He's a CPA, so it's like take it. Oh, you're just a CPA, but you have a you have a boss picture, black and white, super sharp. That's a handsome guy, right there. He looks there. fresh. He looks fresh. He's out here breaking accounting accounting he's stereotypes. A, he's a CFO at CoVenture. Take it. Just I don't take know what it. That is. Just, just sounds like he's the we're man. We're done. Yeah, we're I'm, done. I'm in. We're done. We're in. I'm in. All right. Awesome. Done. I'm in. Accepted. I happen to be related to him, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you're two for two today. That's good. I am two for two. But, I, I mean, I, I think I picked the ones that were a little bit more, you know, had much to talk about. So, do we have any lessons or takeaways from today's link swipe? I think we do. The emojis may not be a good tactic. Nope. In profiles. And don't underestimate the headshot. Yep. Headshots are definitely valuable. Um, I'll tell you what not to do. Don't, like, take your wedding picture and crop out your wife. <laughs> do you see a lot of people doing Tons. That? Tons. Don't do that. Why? Because it's just a high-quality picture? No, because like it's a clearly not a professional picture. It looks like it's your wedding picture and you've cropped at your wife. Yeah, I mean, just our two cents here. I think that if you are trying to make a name for yourself in anything that you're doing out there, spend $100 or whatever it costs. Is that a lot of money? No. And get a nice headshot. I'll tell you what's acceptable. You know, a good professional headshot's acceptable. Um, if like there's a picture of you like doing like a speaking engagement... Oh, like behind a podium? Yeah. You can look, I ask you, you a question? Important. About, can it, I ask you a question about the podium picks? Go for it. Like, just because the podium looks nice, you could be speaking to nobody. Like, does that matter? There, there may not be a crowd. 
I'm no, not that's always... fine. Just at least like make it look like it's like not like a podium in your house because then it'll be obvious. Like get like a cool oh, backdrop. Okay. Like I, if you're in front of like cool screens and a big presentation, then obviously you know the podium pick is more valuable. I hear that. Right. You're probably it, you give the impression that you're important. Okay, but headshots. I mean, that whatever the profile pick is huge. That's yes. that's a big absolutely. It's basically what you know a lot of people at least are are choosing. We'll get into taglines next time. Yeah. All right, that's link swipe. That's link swipe. We now move on to our next segment, entitled "Ask the Expert." So I have a friend. His name is Doctor Eric Fight. He's one of these like really smart guys, who did like really well on the SATs. Like probably got near a perfect score. Is he in the intro to our show? He is. He is actually. Yeah, he is. That's right. Um, so and he fancies himself the expert in all matters. So we're going to call him up and we're going to see what he knows about fundraising in a pandemic. And here we go. Hey, what's going on? Ah, Dr. Fight. How are you? Good. How are you? It's really. I'm well. This is 990 Talk. You're live. And, um, I'm live right now. You're live. You do, do you do your podcast daily or weekly? We're doing weekly right now. Weekly podcast. Whatever. It's wow. kind of whenever we feel about Truth it. Really. Is, I, was wonder, I was wondering how long it would take you to call me. I'm okay. quite disappointed. Well, okay. Well, first of all, your feet, your voice is on every episode. That's so. true. My voice is on every episode? Yeah, because you're, the, you're in the – well, clearly you have not oh listened gosh, one time. That wow. is so rough. Oh gosh. There, is there, rough. So there's a drop with my voice in it. Or an intro. I'm actually quite excited. Now I am going to listen. Okay. Oh, now you're going to listen. Okay. So anyway, Dr. Fight, we know you're the expert in all things. You did very well in your SATs. You basically know everything about everything except for Orgo, where you know most things, which is okay. But anyway, this segment is called Ask, Ask the Expert, and we call up an expert, and we ask them for advice. And um, the issue that I we're dealing with, we're dealing with uh, the issue that we're currently in a pandemic, and it may be going on for a very long time. And I believe that it will be very difficult to engage new donors uh, when you can't be face-to-face. So what do you think is a great way to overcome that challenge? Honestly, everybody loves a good competition. So um, make it competitive. Who could donate the most? You know, make, make, a, make a game out of it. Uh, whoever wins donates the most. Something like that. That's what I think. People are bored. you got to appeal to people's you know, desire to not be bored. Do you think that start, that you do you think that starting a podcast does that? Because the only thing people have going for them right now is the last dance, Korean baseball, and this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think absolutely starting a podcast is important. Uh, you, you're eventually going to make this subscription based. Mm, we're not there yet. Not there yet. Not there yet. But certainly, I think uh, just trying to uh, you know engage people's creativity um, and then tie it to dollars. I think that that could be huge. So you're saying just do what we do and try to monetize it? Well, that and also specifically for trying to raise money, you can have specific competitions and games for raising money. Are you uh-huh. saying like a like a volleyball tournament? No, you obviously you can't have a volleyball tournament now. That's right. Yeah, but you can do uh, and you know something digital, something digital, some 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 kind of digital game, like Fortnite. That's tied to money, like Madden. Well. I don't know if I don't know if the Chicago community would be so accepting to Fortnite, but Madden, Madden's a good idea. Um, do you think that we? I'm not even sure how you monetize this. It's like it's like a buy-in to you have to you have to buy in to play in the tournament, and the money goes to benefit Camp Neal Midwest. Something like that. Hmm. Do you think that you would win? I mean, I would win everything. I would win everything. See, but this. The, the t- 
just you ready. You have me hooked. I buy in now. You buy in. Appeal to people's competitive nature. What if I told you? What if you, I told you it was only on PlayStation? I probably have to buy a PlayStation. So you would, but you would do it though. And you should, you should buy PlayStations and then sell it for a profit to benefit, uh, to benefit the camp. Is this a bad idea? It's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> like, let's say we got thirty-two people, and we just made like a draft. We made a massive tournament. Massive man tournament. We have to keep score. <laughs> we keep stats. We keep exactly. standings. We have a leaderboard. Yeah. What about what about? If people are already into Korean baseball, do some do fantasy Korean baseball. How is that not a thing yet? Is that not a that's a thing? It must be a thing. You think it's a thing? There's no it's way. Be there's thing. no way FanDuel is not all over Korean baseball right now. Right, that's true. Okay, so Eric Feist, here's the question. So you, we're having our we're having our hypothetical um, Madden mass tournament to benefit Camden Gilbert West. Um, is actually I'm really actually like it's actually not a bad idea. I'm thinking about it now. Um, mm-hmm. So you have the you have the fifth pick. Who are you picking? Who's off the board and who are you picking? Well, we're picking picking players. Going to be a fantasy draft. Yeah, I think you got to go well, fantasy I, draft. I mean, it's, it's Sam Donald at five is a steal. Okay. I don't care if he's rated at seventy four. Now you're just buying, this is why you're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, me using Sam Donald is unstoppable. I know I know all of his uh, his skills and his shortcomings. No one knows. Anyone like I know Sam Darnold. Would you say that overcoming, uh, what's it called? Overcoming uh, mono is his skill? Absolutely a skill. Absolutely a skill. I love the conviction with which you speak. Mm-hmm. What if I what if I pit you against Michael Silverman in the first match? Oh, look, Michael Silverman and I have had many Madden games, and he has not come close in any of them. Let's... Uh, Okay, so what do you think we should set I mean, as what do you think we should set as the as the as the buy-in for the tournament? I feel like if you market it well, um, I think you could. You might be able to do a hundred dollar buy-in. I, I'm thinking higher. I How think, much higher? I think if we say thirty-two teams, two fifty a buy-in. So what's two fifty times thirty-two? Um, well, well, two, well, 32 times one. It's eight grand. It's eight grand. 3,200. Yeah. And then you just multiply it by two and then add some. Okay. So I say, so it's an eight grand payout. So I say mm-hmm. the winner takes home $800, dollars. Okay. And All then right. also the winner gets a write off of 7,200 for the donation to Cam McGillman West. Sounds good. You like that? I like it. I like it. Can, there, can you say you like people, that as if you're Bart Scott? No, I'm sorry, not Bart Scott. Kirk no, Cousins. No, Bart Scott is can't can't wait. Okay, so I, first, I can do a Kirk so Cousins. You'll first, like that. First, do Kirk Cousins and then go into Bart Scott. Do you like that? Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a very. I have, to lo- I have to lower the pitch a little bit for Bart. Do it again. And of course, I of course I watch that every day. You're saying you're saying as, you, as you come as day. you walk into the hospital. You, you, you do that. No, I mean, I watch the 11-minute highlight clip of Jets over the Patriots in the playoffs every single day. And then I watch the Bart Scott uh, highlight. After. Are you, like, not a little bit sad that the highlight of your sports life was, like, 10 years ago and you've had nothing since? Uh, that is sad. That is sad. I'm going to end with this because maybe you can get this going on your podcast. I've been pitching this idea. Actually, I led off the Michael K. show on Friday. If you can find that clip, that would be excellent. Um, I have not looked for the clip yet, but I let off the Michael K show. What does that mean? With like the following, pretend like pre- I was I was the initial caller, Eric and Cedarist, with the following idea. Of course, the selfish idea, but I think it's a good idea nonetheless. 
NFL teams should be honoring first-line healthcare workers at games with unique experiences. Even if there's limited or no fans, they should be letting a certain low number of healthcare workers represent the fans of the team. And I volunteered to be honored by the Jets at a game. That is so honorable I think it's fair. of you. You're so humble. Yeah, so uh, Have, has you know, there, f- there, was, there was no humility, but I do think that they're going to do something like that. And who better than me, really, to be at a Jets game? That's what I think. Who better than Eric and Cedarhurst? Yep. And then, f- I, and then I tweeted them a thank you, and they liked my tweet, and I said, yes, it's going to go viral, but it still stands at one like. I feel like that's I the story. Like I thought it's like the show like Eric, I think that's the story of your, of your social media career. You're like always well, on the brink of going viral, and you just never make it. I never make it. I need some help from marketing experts such as yourself. Here's my advice. Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, enjoy your off day. Regards to Tali. Make sure you... This, uh, was, this was fun. In the, in the very, very, very low chance that I don't listen to the full podcast, just send me the clip of me. I love hearing myself talk. I, <laughs> I will actually... I, I now put the timestamps... Um, for the podcast in the description so you could find it. You'll have to just fast forward. But I think, I think you can handle it. I think you can figure it out. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Have a great day, bud. Have a good day. Bye-bye. I actually like that idea. You think we could get 32 people? That segment spun so quickly. It was supposed to be, which it was. He, I love how he just jumps into an answer, but he actually had a decent idea. I, it's, it's small, but it's something. I mean, it's just for the sake of engagement. I think it's, it's worth it. Look, everyone's stuck at home. Yeah. Everyone's playing video games. We can't release this podcast until we get the ball moving on that because otherwise everyone's going to steal that idea. No, I think we release the podcast and then all the listeners hear it and they're like, yeah, I'll play. All right, fine. Let's do it that way. We'll just get some listeners to commit. Absolutely. How, you can do a draft like that? How does that work? A fantasy draft, yeah. It's just going to be one big fantasy draft. Draft. Yep. Okay. And that was Ask the Expert. That was pretty good expert advice. Not the way I thought it was going to go. So on last week's podcast, we asked the listeners to uh, help us with a new segment called Ask the Amateur, which is the opposite of Ask the Expert. It's going to be that the listeners send us questions. Okay, this this question here for Ask the Amateurs has a couple different layers to it. I think we have to answer it carefully, and I think this is real. So let's, let's be careful here. Okay, the question is like this. All jobs now require a level of computer competency. I think that's true. Okay. How do you assess applicants' computer competency without, for example, prejudging someone who is older and didn't grow up with computers? So first of all, who is – I mean, I guess there are people like really old that didn't – I don't know what it means to not grow up with computers. When I was in college, I had an internship um, in financial planning, and um, I actually enjoyed it, but um, – very quickly, it became just me setting up a Gmail account for the employer's wife, and they were not competent in computers. Okay, whatsoever. so what? Can you give me an? Age? I just want to know what that age is. Is that they like, were mad old? Is it like sixty-five, seventy right now? Here we are in twenty twenty. Okay, so what age are you that you didn't grow up with computers? Because even if you're 45, 50, no, 45, 50, older, sure, it has to be older. So if you're in your fifties, just like almost at 60, you spent enough time around computers that I think that's considered having grown up with computers. I mean, is this a bait question that our, our, our businesses having issues with like 
mistreating senior citizens? Is that what this is? I think that there. I think this would be a two. Well, you should impl- you should implement a two part test. Number one is okay. you put them through third grade level Mavis Beacon. You don't know what Mavis Beacon is? No. That was like the you know like the typing programs you did in school. Oh, so I we had type to learn whatever. Yeah. And like you also like you know like the Oregon Trail. Or Oregon Trail. Yeah. Good times. So that's number one, third grade level Mavis Beacon test. And then I think the other thing you do is you uh, you test them and see how long it takes them to answer a Zoom call. <laughs> You're saying that will just naturally weed them out. Well, no. Interesting. It's like one time, like like we were doing like a like a four way WhatsApp call with my grandparents in Israel, and like my gra- and like all it was like me and my siblings and my grandmother, and she was like calling. She was like the whole time she was like just like raving to her grandfather. To my grandfather, she's like, "See, look what I look what I did. Look what I did. I got everyone on." Meanwhile, she she did none of it. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how she managed to go through the call without hanging up. So I really think hanging that's up by it, accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was very humorous. So I think that um, that's what you got to do. Just see if they can do third grade level typing and see if they can. Uh, that's that's how we see just from like the computer standpoint, and then just from a technology standpoint, um, if they could answer a Zoom call. Okay, and then once you've sort of assessed their skill level so like let's say they don't pass the test like what do you what do you you say you just like you say i'm sorry i'm sorry what try again next year <laughs> well next year they're only going to be a year older they're less, <laughs> I know. that's the joke i know i got it i'm just like then you're in a kind of a tough spot i mean what do you, okay what, so what do you propose i don't know i think it's a good question i think there's some basics obviously typing is a big one um, just the general use of email. I think that like a big trap to the older people out there is understanding like the concept of a BCC, which uh, is big. Yeah. Um, a lot of errors result in misuse of, you know, CCing and BCCing email addresses and reply all. Yeah. And reply all obviously. I mean, I get, I think that like that whole idea of like a recipient of an email is a huge is a huge obstacle for certain people so if there's some sort of way to like just kind of weed them out just make sure they know how to use that i think that alone by the way is a huge thing and the typing is really their problem my other my other grandmother used to a blessed memory used to do this thing where she would only write emails in cap locks yeah that's another um it would always look like she was uh she was she was she was uh screaming at us and um so when i was dating my wife so I actually, I inherited um, her easy pass. She lived in Israel and I had her easy pass. And um, I was basically going to Manhattan. My wife was in Stern. I was going to Manhattan a lot. And she like bugged out. When Stern she saw School the- for Business or? I'm sorry? Stern, like NYU Stern? That's, That's really Cy- impressive. No. You're talking about Cy Sims? No. I'm talking about Stern no, School of Business. No, this is when my wife was in Stern College for Women. In New York University. No, this is. We're talking oh, Stern about- College for yes. Women. Oh, totally different. Sorry. So I was going to Manhattan a lot. And uh, so I guess the bill was racking up. And then my grandmother sent me an email, but she did it in, in red font. So that's how I knew I was in trouble. Oh, is it, <laughs> you're saying because she had already overutilized the caps. Correct. So she had to so get differentiate to a different else. way. Um, and then I, then I told her I was just going to see Malka. And then she was like, oh, okay, no problem. I mean, I think, listen, it could be as basic as a questionnaire. Like, do you do the following? Or, you know, what does the following mean? You know, I, that's one thing. I think that the, the challenge is going to be, you know, so then when you decide that they're just too old for the job, so then how do you tell them that and not get sued? Because that could be a lawsuit. 
Well, if you did do that, then you need free legal. And that's why we have the honorable. Yeah, the judge would for sure would for sure take up that case. He'd represent us. Yeah, for sure. Well, everyone, that was today's show. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for sticking with us. Arian Srilly. Over and out. Homies looking out for me. They the ones who family. I've been on that melody. It's obvious this energy.